This is week three of Run Your Best Race, and uh, if you've missed the first two, I encourage you to go back. Uh, you can check them out through the app or through the, our website. Uh, I, follow us on, uh, on YouTube or Facebook. You can catch those, those uh, there as well. Whether you have been running, you're running your very first Boston Marathon, or you're a vet, you've run it numerous times, you probably heard the horror stories of a hill called Heartbreak Hill. Anybody heard of Heartbreak Hill before? You don't even have to be a runner to know that that is a significant spot during the Boston Marathon. Heartbreak Hill is a, is a half-mile incline that happens somewhere around mile 20, and Heartbreak Hill is positioned as the last of four hills in succession, and it's the steepest. As a result... Of those hills, the Boston Marathon is considered one of the the most difficult marathon courses that runners will run. Down through the years, many people have believed that Heartbreak Hill got its name because it tests a runner's calf muscles as they go up and shreds their quadriceps as they go down. But that's not how it got its name. Oh, it crushed the dreams of many who wished to cross the finish line with a a spectacular time. Heartbreak Hill crushed those dreams. The topography is challenging, to say the least. But that's not how it got its name. It got its name instead in 1936 during the Boston Marathon. There were two runners, a guy by the name of John Kelly, he's on the left, and Ellison Brown here on the right. Ellison Brown got out to a huge lead. John Kelly was no, he was, not, he was not a novice at this. He had won the race in 1935, the year before. As the race went on, Kelly started closing in on Ellison. And before they knew it, right before Heartbreak Hill, Kelly passes Ellison Brown. And as he does, he pats him on the back and smugly says, you know, something like, I'll take it from here, or thank you very much, or... Some little sarcastic comment. And what that did, they, the story tells us that it lit a fire in Ellison Brown. I mean, he was, he, was, he was flagging at that point, but all of a sudden, it just rejuvenated him. And he just took off. And it was on this hill that later would become known as Heartbreak Hill, where he passed John Kelly and broke his spirit. And Ellison Brown went on to win the 1936 Boston Marathon. That's how it got the name Heartbreak Hill, because it broke John Kelly's heart in 1936. Hills can punish a runner, but there are a lot of things besides hills that can create challenges for a runner. The weather can do it. It can be really, really hot, or it can be really cold. It can be raining. It can be snowing. But the worst is ice. Do you know they actually make cleats and spikes to put on your running shoes so people can run in ice? Not me. I'm not running in ice. There are other things like cramping that can be a significant problem. If you don't hydrate enough, you can start to cramp up, and it will, it will completely stop even the best of runners. Problems like plantar fasciitis or problems with the sciatic nerve can actually stop good runners. They just can't run. Minor problems like 
blisters or runner's toe. You don't even want to Google that. They're nagging little pains, and they can make running difficult. Major problems like with a knee or a hip or your back can sideline the very best intended runners. The reality is most runners are a little neurotic when it comes to those kinds of things. There's always a variety of issues that cause trouble for a runner. As Heartbreak Hill is a major challenge for running the Boston Marathon, there are many hills that test the follower of Jesus during the race that God calls us to run. It might be a secret sin that you are terrified that someone's going to find out about. And so you just hold back. Or it might be a conflict with another believer that keeps you from running your best race. It might be the shame of your past. Or it might be loneliness that's slowing you down. In Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verse 1, at the end of that verse, this is what the Apostle Paul writes. He said, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Paul uses the word perseverance here. He gives us a cue. He's cueing us in to the fact, cluing us in, excuse me, to the fact that there's going to be some challenges that are going to test us because we're going to have to persevere through them. God calls us to run our best race, but the truth is that there are forces that are, exist that don't want you and I to succeed. God laid out our race, and he's equipped us to run it with perseverance and endurance. But just when we think we can't go one more step, God also then provides through faith what we need, the strength that we need to continue. God gives us everything we need to not only run, but to run our best race. So here's the bottom line for this message. No matter what happens, keep running. Keep running. There are gonna be a lot of prevailing reasons throughout your life that will tempt you to quit this race, even drop out of God's body and stop living for him. Whatever you do, though, keep running. Keep running because you are loved by God far more than you ever knew. Keep running because you matter to the body of Christ. Keep running because something amazing happens at the finish line of this race. Keep running because the reward is eternal and it's worth powering through. Whatever trial tempts you to quit, keep running. And what I want us to do this morning is I want us to look at three disciplines that we should employ in order to keep running. They're not, it's not exhaustive. There's other things we could talk about, but there's three things that I think are really important. And the first one is this. Expect there to be hills. As I've told you throughout this series, I enjoy running. And I'm a different, I think I'm probably a, a unique runner in the sense that I like running on a treadmill. Now, most, most runners don't like running on a treadmill because it's so monotonous. But I love running on the treadmill for a number of reasons. First of all, modern treadmills are smooth. The, the running deck is smooth. It, it cushions. It, it saves the ankles, knees, and, and hips. And I love the fact that they have these, these off, most of them have video screens, right? And you can actually simulate running somewhere out and about. You, it, they have fans on them, which blows cool air on you. I mean, it's like running in a spa almost. You know, it's great. But the best part about it for me is you can run without hills. 
Now, you hear me out. You can run with hills. You can choose a, a, a plan, and you can, you can log onto that, and you can run, and it'll adjust your, your, you know, the, the incline all you want. But I don't do that. I run flat, right? I do not like hills. But when it comes to road racing, anything from a 5K all the way up to a marathon and beyond, you're going to have to contend with hills. You're going to have to do that. If you're training here in the bluegrass, you're going to have to run on hills. There are parts of this, this county where you are either going up or you're going down, but you are not going flat. In 2004, I ran the Columbus Marathon, and their slogan is this. It says, our world is flat, which is a motivating thing for a marathon. You're like, yeah, let's go run a flat marathon. But that is not true. I'm not saying they're liars, but this is bad marketing. Because they had a hill on their course. It was about eight or nine-tenths of a mile. And it was one of these grades that just continued to go up the whole way. And it was right at the halfway point, the 13.1-mile point of the marathon. In fact, 13.1 miles was right in the middle of this hill. Who does that? This is one of the most exciting parts of the race. You're like, we're halfway. And I couldn't even think. of I was oxygen deprived because I was going up this hill. And to make matters worse, they were, there were runners who were running in tandem. They were running a relay. Four runners running the whole marathon. So there were people making the exchange at the halfway point. So here I am grinding up this hill only to be passed by all these fresh runners. Hey, they just got the baton. They just started their race at the halfway point. I hated that hill. The truth is, I don't have much love for most hills. But hills are part of running. And as a runner, you have to expect hills. Running the race that God has called you and I to run are going to have hills as well. These hills are the challenges that cause us pain and difficulty in life. Every Christian should absolutely expect to face trouble, hardship, and maybe even some suffering. You see, it's hard to predict when the hills in your life, what they're going to look like and when they're going to happen. But we know we should expect them because Jesus said this, in this world, you will have what? Trouble. And he was right. We should anticipate it. Most of us know that from our own experience that we're going to have hills. We're going to face different kinds of trials and temptations and troubles. And the longer you live in this fallen world, the more kinds of trouble that you're going to face. So we should expect it. But there is a silver lining to the hills that you run when you run them with endurance. Listen to what Paul writes in Hebrews 12. Verse 11, he says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Did you catch that? He said, right, when you're in it, it's tough. It's not pleasant. And that's an understatement. But later, the perfect, the peaceful, excuse me, fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it is what those hills will yield in your life. 
You see, there are times in life when God uses struggles and hardships to correct us away from sin. And then there are other times when we simply are being given an opportunity to grow in our faith. We're being trained, trained in a deeper faith. Paul points out nobody likes to be disciplined. In fact, the hills we face in the race of life are difficult at times, and they test our faith. In the midst of these struggles, our minds are largely focused on how unpleasant the experience is. But afterwards, we can more easily see how God used those experiences to grow us, to mature us. We can see the process of maturity driven by that perseverance, that endurance. These hills we face in life are a lot like the workout of a runner who goes through training. That runner's training seems painful rather than pleasant is the way Paul framed it up. But that runner is going through it And then afterwards, he or she sees growth and development as a result of that training. Faith, when tested, also grows us when we endure the hills. Listen to what James, how James frames this up. In James chapter one, verses two through four, he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. The reason he says be joyful, he says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. We will grow and we will mature as we keep running through the challenges that we face. Oh, there'll be some flat spots, but we need to expect that there will be hills. But whatever the case is, keep running. The second discipline that we need to employ is the discipline that we need to expect the unexpected. Over the years, I have run with people who have done some strange things. One guy I ran with collected ugly running shorts. Now, I'll be honest with you, running shorts are kind of ugly anyway. But he had the ugliest running shorts, and he would wear them, and then he would brag about how ugly they were. I was like, dude, nobody cares, right? There was another guy I ran with, and he was always bragging about the supplements that he was taking, these rare, exotic supplements. And he would brag about, for two weeks, he bragged about something called Siberian man root. I have no idea what it was. I, I'm almost confident it's illegal. Um, But he said it made him run faster, right? I also had some crazy things happen to me while running. I've had weird injuries. I've had crazy conversations with other runners. And I've routinely been outrun by people who are significantly older than me. And that crushes my spirit. There was was a day when I was uh, running down Manowar Boulevard and someone shot at me. I'm not kidding. I think it was paintballs. I'm not sure it didn't hit me. But it, they, they definitely shot at me. I also was running in my own neighborhood when an SUV went by me. And I was on the right side of the road running with traffic, and a kid leaned out the window and slapped me in the back of the head. That's just weird, right? Well, what it did is it made me mad. And I was kind of running out of gas, but I, I picked up my 
my speed, and they turned a corner and got stuck at a light. And man, I'll tell you what, they were really, really disappointed when I preached at all four of them sitting in that SUV, right? The truth of the matter is, probably the wor- one of the worst things that ever happened to me was I was running down Manowar Boulevard one night late, and it had rained earlier, just a few hours earlier, and so it was incredibly humid. And at the time, I wore glasses, and I could not get my glasses to keep from fogging up. I was sweating, they were foggy, I kept wiping them off, trying not to smear them, because then you can't see out of them. And I looked up ahead and it looked like something like a cardboard box was on the, on the pavement up ahead of me. And as I got closer, fogged up again, I wiped off my glasses, I got just close enough to see the box move. It wasn't a box at all, it was a skunk. <laughs> And I, I, listen, I can go backwards as fast as I can go forward. I know that now. I just have to be properly motivated, right? Life is filled with many things that happen to us that we never saw coming. You know, your grandmother tells you she got a tattoo. And you're like, what? Or you sell your used car five years after you bought it for more than you paid for it. Crazy, Right? Or maybe you just tested positive for the fifth time for COVID. And you thought, I'm supposed to not get this thing, right? The truth of the matter is, is that crazy things happen to us all the time. But more seriously, there are things that happen that seem to almost be intentionally put in our path to try to stop us from running the race that God has called us to run. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Galatians. In Galatians 5, 7, he says, you were running a good race, Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? Who cut in on you? It's interesting because this is not how Paul was treated when he first visited them. The backstory on this is that when Paul went there, he said they treated him like an angel. I mean, they accepted the word of God. They received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They received the Holy Spirit. They had this this deep joy that was evident to all, and they were willing to make any and every sacrifice to help accommodate the Apostle Paul's ministry. But now, now they see Paul as an enemy. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? The imagery that Paul is using here is that of how each runner is required to stay in their assigned lane during a race. But some of the runners were cutting in on their competitors and bumping them off the course. And this is what the Judaizers had done to the Galatian believers. They'd interfered with their understanding of the gospel to force them off the course and to keep them from following the truth that Paul had sowed into that church previously. David Mitchell is a great friend. He's the guy I trained with for all, all three of the marathons that I ran. We actually ran the first marathon together, but not actually together because David is a much faster runner than I am. And he was trying to qualify for the Boston Marathon in that first marathon. He did tell me, though, at the end of the race, when we finally grouped up together, he said something crazy happened to me. He was running with two guys he just kind of fell into the same pace with. They were running the same pace. And he said, we were running along probably three or four miles into the race when all of a sudden a car pulls up right next to him. And the guy in the car is yelling, you are off the course. You are not on the course. 
And then he gave him directions on how to get back on the course. And David said, I, it just devastated me. It just devastated me, he said, because I was training to qualify for Boston, and now, he said, I, I probably added three or four-tenths of a mile to my race. There was no way he was going to qualify now. So instead of running his best race, all he could focus on was how it ruined his effort to qualify for Boston. David got bad directions, and he got off course, and it messed up his race. The Galatians didn't expect someone to cut in on them, but they did, and they led them astray. Isn't that often the case of what happens? It's someone that we want to impress or someone who we fear, and we just go along to get along, only they lead us in the wrong direction. We weren't attentive to the truth, and we weren't paying that much attention, so when they cut in, we didn't expect it, and it disrupted our race. Their interference throws us off course, and they keep us from running our best race. Hey, I got to be honest with you. The enemies of God are going to throw everything they can at you to keep you from running. And the more unexpected it is, the more they think they can stop you from running. So expect the unexpected and keep running. Keep running. Well, the third discipline that I want us to employ when it comes to running this race, running, continue, keep, to keep running, is to focus to finish. Focus to finish. Life can be distracting if we aren't focused. Would you agree? As I mentioned last week, how stepping in a pothole can ruin your training run. In life, the equivalent of stepping in a pothole is committing a careless sin that ruins a relationship or damages your witness or your reputation or worse, ends you in jail. If we want to keep running, we need to focus on the Lord. If you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 91. We're going to look at verses 14 and 15 in the time we have left. This is what the writer of Psalm 91 is, Moses. This is what he writes. He says, because he has focused his love on me, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls out to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in his distress. I will deliver him, and I will honor him. Moses wrote Psalm 91, and Moses knew something about how God helps you to keep running. Moses had one of the most difficult jobs of all, leading the children of Israel. A million or so of these Israelites. That was not easy. But God kept him on the course, and he kept him running forward, kept, kept him going. Moses knew you had to put your focus on the Lord if you're going to succeed. And when we concentrate on him, look what he says he will do to facilitate that we keep running. Let's look at the text again. Verse 14 says, initially he says, because he has focused his love on me, then he, this is the first thing he says he's gonna do for me. He says, I will deliver him. Now the word that he uses here, deliver, actually means to take to safety. So when you face a crisis, maybe you're even in danger, God's saying, I will keep you safe. Can he do that? God is all-powerful, and God is all-knowing. 
So he knows it ahead of time and he can handle whatever the world throws at you. So whatever entity tries to defeat you or tries to stand against you cannot. Look what the first part of Deuteronomy 11.25 says. It says, no one will be able to stand against you. Why? Because the Lord is at work on your behalf. He's going to deliver you. The forces that try to keep you from running your best race will not succeed if you and I put our trust in God. God promises to deliver you to safety. The second thing he says he's going to do is, I will protect him because he knows my name. The word protect means to defend or to set on high, which is kind of an interesting thought. The idea here is that when God protects you, he's actually going to lift you above the fray. God promises to protect you. The third thing he says he'll do, if we focus to finish, he says, when he calls out to me, I will answer him. Do you know God hears you every time you call out to him? He hears you when you call to him, and he will respond. God promises to respond to you. And then he says, I will be with him in his distress. The truth is, God's with you all the time, but when you are in distress, that's when you need God the most, right? God will be with us when we're facing trouble, and he never leaves us. Listen to Deuteronomy 31, verse 8. He says, the Lord himself goes before you, and he'll be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. There's a pep talk going on there. God is with you. There's nothing that you should fear. Nothing should discourage you. But I will tell you, the devil doesn't want you to succeed. And he wants you to forget that. I promise you. I promise you. More Saturday nights than I can count, I will lose sleep because the enemy wants to try to disrupt me. But this is true. God is with you right in that moment. Don't forget it. He will never leave you. Never leave you. I love what Jesus said at the end of the Great Commission. And remember, I am with you each and every day until the end of the age. Jesus made the promise. God promised to be there with you always, even in the middle of the storm. He goes on, he says, I will deliver him. Now, didn't he just say that? Yes, he did. But in Hebrew, there's a different word he's using. It's, in English, it's translated deliver, but it means something different. In the Hebrew, this word means to prepare you or equip you for war. He promises to strengthen you, to fortify you. And when you're strengthened and fortified, he's going to deliver you. And then he says, finally, and I will honor him. Finally, God promises to raise you to a place of honor. Run your race. Run that hill. Don't stop running. Keep running. And when you get to that point where you're on the downhill or you cross that finish line, God says, well done, good and faithful servant. No power on this earth can overpower our Lord. Nothing can separate you from him. So when you face a huge hill, 
Whatever the crisis, whatever the temptation, the trial, whatever the challenge, don't stop running. Even if all you can do is walk, that's just slow running. But keep moving forward. Because there's a kingdom to advance. And God is with us. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. The secret to staying focused to the finish is trusting him. I want to close with this story. Roy Mays was a co-worker of mine. This is a picture of Roy. He's probably, we worked together probably somewhere around 20 years. Actually, he was my boss, but in a kind of a strange way, we were still good friends. Roy was very competitive. In fact, one of the most competitive people I've ever known. When he was a high schooler, he played a quarterback at Lafayette High School, and he was really good. And then as he got older, he played tennis and golf, and he was good at both. He was really good at both. So when Roy was diagnosed with multiple myeloma at the age of 46, it was, he was up for the fight. It was just like him. The doctors had told him that if he did all the treatments, that he would live potentially another five years. But if he didn't do any treatments at all, he might live another six months. And so in classic Roy Mays fashion, he said, game on. The other thing you need to know about Roy is he was smart. In fact, one of the guys that we worked with said one time, he said, you know, if it's just you and Roy in a room, you're not the smartest person in the room. And he wasn't talking about me, but that was true. He was just talking about people in general. He was exactly right. Roy was immediately a student of multiple myeloma cancer. He started researching and studying everything he could to defeat this cancer. He then took several months off to have a bone marrow transplant, but he wasn't just fighting cancer Roy was still running his race. In fact, even though he was almost always in pain, I think he was running some of his best race while he was fighting cancer. I wouldn't have blamed him if he'd have gone to the beach with his wife and kids and spent the rest of his life right there. No one would have blamed him. But that just wasn't the way Roy was wired. I told you he's competitive and he's like, let's fight this thing. He still had so much stuff to get done. And what was ironic was cancer was opening doors that he never had opened before because you see, when people think that you're in the final lap of your life, your bell lap, they give you attention that they wouldn't give you before. It's funny how people are that way. Roy's shot clock was winding down. And Roy was going to make every shot possible, regardless of the fact that he was sick. Roy was 53 years old when he finally succumbed to cancer. He had lived almost seven years after his diagnosis, which was two years longer than the doctor said he would live. <laughs> That's classic Roy Mays. I tell you this story because Roy made a significant difference in those last seven years of his life. 
I believe there are people in the kingdom of God today because of that. There'll be people you will meet in heaven because of that. There are gonna be some terrible hills that you will face. And some of you are facing them right now. Keep running. No matter what, keep running. Because God, with his help, no matter how steep the hill, no matter how challenging the crisis or the the difficulty or the temptation, you can still run your best race. I know that because I saw a man do that. And it inspired me. I hope it inspires you. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your love for us. God, more than anything, thank you for all that you did, the hills that Jesus ran so that we might be here, the one hill that he he ran to the top of, carrying a cross, dying there for us, our sins might be washed away. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, I pray especially for people right now who are in a crisis. Might be their marriage, and I know some of those. It might be their health, and I know some of those. God, whatever it is that they find themselves facing, help them, God, to keep running. The hill's steep. It almost looks never-ending. But you're with them, and you're gonna give them the strength as they put their faith and focus on you, and they can make it up that hill. Lord, I pray, I pray for them to keep running. There'll be people in in heaven someday because of their testimony, because of their witness. Lord, and we praise you for that. Lord, I pray for that person who's here today that's not been running the race and they just never put their faith in you and said yes. And so I pray, God, that they would see just how abundant this life is, even with all the hills and the challenges that there are. What happens at the finish line, it's amazing. And it's worth every step of the race that we run. So I pray they'll have the courage today to step up and say, I want to run this race too. God, I pray for them. In Jesus' name, amen.